What's up, guys? Welcome back to another edition of Uncle Stevie's Nephews Podcast. It's currently April 25th. We're recording after today's game. Uh, the Mets ended up winning today 4-0. Both good defensively, actually on all three sides, defensively, offensively, pitching. Talon Walker was iffy at moments, but we'll get into all that. I'm going to talk about some storylines from this week, some defensive problems, Jacob DeGrom's excellence, Francisco Lindor still kind of struggling, and... Uh, some pitching updates that have been injured for a little bit. So this coming in after today's game, they are now eight and seven. Uh, they had a week of two and four ba- baseball, which is not what any of us expected. I think we were on a high from what they did two a week ago, I guess. So the closest were me and Frank, we said four and two. Um, Spencer said five and one. So if you just flip the numbers, I meant to flip my numbers. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. If we just flipped our numbers, everything we would have been right. But yep. obviously, we weren't. The Mets had a disappointing week, all really because of what happened in Chicago. The Mets have never played well in Chicago besides in 2015 when they swept them there. Uh, the defense was really the main storyline. Um, JD Davis made his return to the lineup. Hits has been hitting really well, and that's on display. But his defense, more specifically in the Cubs uh, games, have has been atrocious. He has no timing when it seems to throw to first base. He's starting to get a little bit more on the ball recently, like today's game he was able to, but his timing still completely off. It came to a head specifically in the Cubs games where for two straight games, uh, his defensive troubles, whether it be making an easy throw to first, trying to make a double play, Anything like that led to uh, Tywin Walker and David Peterson just completely collapsing uh, as pitchers. I mean, they were going extremely well through the first four innings or first three innings. And then in the fourth for both of them, they both the defense and you could blame a little bit on the umpires. Just they collapsed. It was disappointing to see. And the thing with J.D. Davis, it's offense versus defense with him. His offense is outstanding with the Mets lineup right now. He's one of the only players that is hot, uh, but his defense is just can be such a hard thing to swallow for, I'm sure, Luis Rojas and also fans. What do you guys think about J.D. Davis so far? I think it was a lot more evident is the David Peterson one. I think that was the one that really was the backbreaker because Walker, I think it was the more problem was the walks, you know, six walks and only four innings. That was a problem. The umpire wasn't great. Uh, I'm one of the first people to say, no, umpire is horrible. I don't think the umpire was that, that bad in the Taiwan Walker game. Uh, you know, you don't walk the pitcher with two outs. I know Jake Arrieta is an athlete. You know, he, he can hit a little bit, but you don't walk Jake Arrieta with two outs. I don't care who you are. I don't care who the umpire is. That's walk like, another pitcher absolute, yeah, that's an absolute no-no. You know, so I don't think it, it was as bad in the walk. But the David Pearson, I mean, David Pearson was completely rolling. He wasn't walking anybody, wasn't getting hits. I mean, once Dave, David Pearson is the kind of pitcher that once he's on a roll, you're good. You know, and we've seen that before. Like, he'll get bombed in the first inning. But once David Pearson, he's like, wheel. once he gets in that groove, you're good. But uh, he was not able to overcome those errors that J.D. Davis made. And what's unfortunate is that those are routine plays. You know, like, those are plays that your starting third baseman should make. You shouldn't have to pick up the ball double tap, double, you know, clutch, clutch, clutch. Yeah, now get rid of it. You know, it's like four times. I mean, but you got to get rid of that ball. So, you know, that definitely, that can't happen. And and like you said, it's so tough because uh, that's not the only position that the Mets are dealing with, you know, the offensive argument. The same could be said in the outfield, whether that's Nimmo or Dom Smith. Obviously, Martin Conforto had a 
pretty crappy day on Saturday in the outfield as well. So oh, you don't like to see that that's in multiple positions and you don't have a DH to bail you out. So, you know, uh, and like you said, a really good point, Brian, he's probably the only guy in the lineup that's hot right now because Brandon Emmo is slowly coming back down to earth. So it's like, you really, you can't take that bad out of the lineup. Guillermo has been good, but when you saw Jay Davis said that two run bomb in the first inning is Patrick Corbin, Luis Guillermo is not doing that as much as I love Guillermo. That's not happening. It kind of sucks for J.D. Davis because, I mean, I've been rooting for him ever since he came from Houston for the Mets. He's a likable character. He's always positive, never seen getting mad at people or being a negative person. So it sucks when he, he's not really playing defensively on a major league level. Um, he, he looks kind of like a collegiate ball player. He's messing up. And I know it's not his first position. I'll give him that. But at some point, where do you draw the line of do we need to move him to a different position or do we need to figure out what's moving on here? What I don't like, Spencer, is that the Mets experimented with him in left field. He was probably even worse there. Yeah. So, like, it, it gets to the point. It's like, where where realistically could you play him? You know what I mean? It's yeah. like, could he play first? I yeah. hope so. You know, like, I don't even know if he could. But the problem is that yeah. we already have two yeah. first basemen. Like, I want Dom at first. I want Pete at first. I got no room for a yeah. first baseman. You know, it, it's it's such a tough spot. And, he, and I do like that he's such a team-friendly guy. Like, you know, he is, like, so willing to celebrate – maybe more so than himself success, the success of others. Like you'll see JD Davis do a dance for a Pete Alonso home run, not for a JD Davis home run. You know, you can't really teach that. Like that's something that a player just has or doesn't have. He fits in so well just with the rest of these young guys. It's just kind of lucky. His offense is really keeping him on the major league roster at this point. And it's definitely not his defense playing. The thing with JD Davis is, in past years, his errors and mishaps at third base haven't been as apparent for me, at least in the, as it has been this week. And I think one thing that you can take from that, and maybe I just haven't been watching as closely as I have been this year, even though I'm a pretty big Mets fan, so I watch all the time, is that I don't think it's going to be as bad as it has been, at least against the Cubs. I think whatever happened with the Cubs, it was in his head for sure. His His timing is off, and I think that's something that when you keep doing it over and over again, it's going to start working. And one thing that you did see in the Cubs series, there's this one, there's this one play where they had a perfect opportunity to get a double play. And it was like a routine double play. And you saw JD Davis, like take his time, getting the ball in, take his time, making a somewhat good throw to second base, even though it wasn't really a good throw, if you're being honest. Um, and he just wanted to do something good defensively. And you can just see that he's, it's so in his head right now that eventually he'll start to work his way out of it. And once he gets the confidence that he's going to be playing a lot of the time and like he was on that injury and now he's back and there's this whole thing with Luis Guillorme, once his hitting continues to prove itself and that he's becomes a formidable part of this lineup, I think his defense will come along with that. And it's just all about his confidence. Um, and if he keeps playing well offensively as he is, I, I've, find it really hard to put Luis Guillorme back in. I know Luis Guillorme is, isn't terrible offensively. is probably very adequate offensively with his long at-bats and things like that. It's just J.D. Davis is such an offensive plug for the Mets. I mean, he was batting fourth today and did extremely well. So it's a really tough situation. Um, like we said, defense also, Michael Conforto has, specifically Saturday, was not a good game for him. Um, but throughout this whole season, and I saw – I thought I saw a stat about like since 2019, he's, I don't know what the specific numbers were, but he has not been a really good defensive outfielder. And I guess he's never been a really good defensive outfielder, but it's been worse these past couple of years. And his throw, I think 
his throw to try and get Starn Castro out at home was probably the worst moment for me, at least with his defense. I think the other one, it took a weird bounce in the outfield for him. And I, I, yeah, he should have been able to make it, but his throw home was just such a lolly, like lollygag throw. There was nothing on it. And it was so disappointing. Um, And Michael Conforto is supposed to be like the one outfielder somewhat in the Mets outfield that can actually do something. And the fact that through this whole year, he's been struggling offensively and defensively, like we're saying right now, is really bad. And there's, we're going to talk about later, Michael Conforto starting to come out of it, but his defense and offensive combination to start the season has been so bad and has really been a key storyline for the Mets so far. What do you guys think about how he's been? defensively specifically he also had those uh bad throw against colorado where mm-hmm. i mean that, that yeah, was another one that was inaccurate yeah. so like yeah, w- yeah. which is weird because i like you said i feel like he's mostly a pretty good defensive outfield like i don't have all of his metrics on me and things like that but i mean he's better than nemo he's better than don smith and right field is his spot you know like we talk about you know nemo doesn't belong in center Dom doesn't really belong in left. I mean, maybe you can make the case that Conforto belongs in left. That's where he came up. But I feel like he's been in right for a few years now. Yeah. That's probably where he should be. I mean, do you want to risk moving him back over there? Which you can on this team anyway. So, like, right field is going to be where he's going to be. So, uh, someone like Lindor, I think is a good example here, where Lindor is also struggling offensively. But at least his defense, for the most part, has still been very good. You know, he had a bad play against Chicago. But you don't want to see that be something where it affects you in both areas. And I, I really think that this contract thing, it might be just getting to him too much. I, I think that uh, if Michael continues to struggle this much, he if the Mets already gave him a pretty decent offer, I think he probably should just accept it and and maybe just like kind of get it off his brain. You know, because he knows that I, this is the thing about me and Michael is that not only do you want the Mets to maybe increase their offer, but you want to just increase your value elsewhere. If you could be like, okay, well, this other team offered me a ton of money match it or pay me a little better or be pretty close to it. You know, since I've been with the Mets so long, I'll stay with you guys. But if you can't get another team to offer you a lot of money because of how poorly you're playing, uh, why would the Mets increase their offer? You know, so I I just think that it's a lot of pressure on him. And I I think it's uh, pretty interesting. You know, this whole season has not been a good start for him. He really has got to get it going. And you know what? A good September if that happens this year, that won't be enough for me because every single year, Michael Conforto has an amazing September. So if he has, let's say, you know, 20 home runs, uh, 80 RBIs by the time September rolls around, and then at the end of the year, he's got 30 home runs, 100 RBIs because of great September. Oh, look, he's a 30 home run, 100 RBI guy. But if he did off me in September, it, it, I feel like those stats are kind of skewed. It's true. Yeah, I uh... – the thing that I was going to say is like Scott, I think Scott Boris could be a big problem for him because Scott Boris is a guy that wants to get so much money out of his players. And I'd be shocked if he wasn't in his head throughout the off season saying we can get so much more money. You just have to have a good season, all blah, 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 blah. And so far it hasn't been good. If his value, if anything has gone down um, and Scott Boris probably isn't happy. My Conforto is definitely not happy. And I'd say that, Frank makes a good point that maybe he should just, you know, accept whatever offer the Mets give him, maybe ask for like a tiny bit more, just do some bargaining. I don't know, but I mean, it, I think something's definitely in his head. Um, We can just go into my open border offensively. So definitely a big storyline for the Mets since the beginning of the season, my open Fordo has struggled tremendously. Um, Just nothing good. Hadn't hit a home run until yesterday. 
I think it was like 80 games where he hadn't hit a home run and it was going really bad. He had really bad at bats, sometimes got the, uh, the barrel on the ball and just would line out to someone, which has been a really big thing for the Mets this season, constantly hitting balls hard and going to the exact wrong, wrong spot in the outfield or in the infield, but either way. So as it stands right now, Mike Manford is batting 214, um, had his first home run, like I said, 15 strikeouts, 12 hits, four RBIs. So definitely not a good start to the season. I think we can all agree on that. But one thing that I did see and I looked into it is I think it's over the last nine games, he's batting over 300. And we've seen little spurts here where Mike, not spurts, at-bats here and there where he's been having good at-bats, been making good contact. In the Cubs series, he almost had his first home run. There are a few times where he almost had his first home run and just missed it. And today, also, he almost had a home run, but just missed. Like, it's been happening for the Mets consistently. They just miss home runs. But either way, um, he's been batting over 300, has been getting extra base hits, has been hitting the ball hard. And you just start to see, and Keith Hernandez, I think it was, was talking about it. Ron Darling wasn't on the call today, right? Yeah. Keith Hernandez was talking about that you just, he's having good at bats, specifically against Patrick Corbin. He's made good contact all day. And he had that double that – did it score a run? Was it just a double? Either way, it was a, it was a nice double, um, and it was really nice to see. And he had hard contact throughout the game. And like I said, he's batting over 300 in the past nine games. If you're someone that looks at trends, that's definitely a good trend for Conforto. You guys think he's going to break out of it anytime soon? I personally hope so. I mean – I think he's got, like you said, little spurs, a little bats every now and again. I mean, hopefully it's the same. I don't mean, I don't wish it's the same thing as Jenny Davis. But if he's not going to play well in defense, I hope he kills it on offense. He's batting 386. Like, I'm talking crazy numbers, big numbers, especially for a guy like Mike Lafordo Scooter. I honestly hope that he can get out of a spurt. Another positive guy on this team. I mean, not that there's many negative guys in the New York Mets. But for someone like that, you don't want to see what's potentially what we've seen in the offseason as a team leader that's not performing well. Yeah. Um, I wouldn't compare him to David Wright, but somewhere as close as you can get to David Wright without being David Wright, you want him to perform well. They went out of the way last year, you know, when uh, the game was being protested and they canceled with the Marlins. The players pretty much alluded to the fact that Conforto was the captain of the team. And I just think that, you know, if your captain, so to speak, were to walk away in free agency, that wouldn't be a good look. Maybe you can make the case that Lindor is maybe a captain now, that Alonzo is kind of a captain to Grom. Like, I, I, it's, it's really hard to say. Now, there isn't really that one clear-cut guy like there was with David Wright. But uh, the one stat that stands out to me about Michael Ford, I have it right here, is that with the bases empty, he's batting 280. Runners on, 148. And that's the thing I constantly see with Michael. I, I tweet it every time, but when Ford gets hit, I'm like, well, wasn't a runner in scoring position. It's just, it's so strange. But uh, to your point, Brian, Wrigley just kicked the Mets' butt. I mean, that, I swear, I thought that was a home run that Ford hit. I still think mm-hmm. it was. It was over the yellow line, like in yeah. every ballpark. That's a home run. Get rid of those baskets. I mean, th- that place is just so tough. And, you know, he, 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 
Yeah, and what was good is that he was going to the opposite field, and, and that's really encouraging for Michael. He, I mean, all these hitters, they, they really got to use the opposite field more. I mean, the, the lefties have been pulling the outside pitch, ground balls to the right side. You know, Lindor has been ground balls galore. So these guys, and that's what Crawford did so well last year was not get pull happy. That's why he batted over 300 in 2020. He used the opposite field so much, shortened up his swing. Only took a half swing just to get the single, just to get the double with runners on base. Michael was finally driving in when runners were on. Mm-hmm. And I, I hope he can get back to that approach. But, you know, we'll see. But it, it definitely is a bit of hopefully a good trend. Average is getting up, getting a couple hits a game. You know, he, he hit the ball hard today. And like I said, he has great career numbers against Patrick Corbin, which probably goes into that mental aspect of it. You know, the fact that it's like, okay, I know I could do this. I fit Corbin well before I got this. Yeah. And maybe that, like, encouraged him. Because we've said, you know, maybe a lot of his struggles could be mental with all the stuff that's going on. Yeah, definitely true. Uh Speaking of other people that are struggling, let's talk about Francisco Lindor. Uh, it's every game that I watch, I'm like, just break out of it so I don't have to keep hearing and seeing people tweeting about that he's a bust and it's typical Mets. They don't, they, even if like this huge star went to the Mets, if Mike Trout went to the Mets, he'd suck it up. <sighs> it's so frustrating. And he's had, he had that three hit game in Chicago where he hit the, his first home run. Um, he's had hits in his past two games, but the thing that with his hits, not against the Cubs because he had his home run, but he really hasn't put like any extra base hits on the board. It's been singles here and there. The past two games have been just a ground ball through the infield that got to the outfield. And yeah, that's good for statistics, but that's not 340 million, $340 million worth player and uh, 341. I'm sorry. Um, and, uh, it's, it's so Tatis, that 1 million was big for him. Make yeah, sure you do not right. forget that. <laughs> Sorry, Francisco Lindor, if you're listening. Um, if it's because his defense has been outstanding, he had another good play today. And that's one good thing that that's not getting in his head. And like, you just watch him and there was this moment, the moment today where he, he, it was three and one, I think had that pop fly and you saw frustration start to seep into him and I'm sure he's been frustrated before but he hasn't really shown it and it's every time that he gets out I I'm constantly loading Twitter throughout the game and every time he gets out it's like tweet after tweet he's a bust or I open Instagram he's a bust waste of money blah 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 and I just wanted to break out of it so bad probably even more than like I want my looking forward to break out of it because I just don't want to hear this storyline anymore and the thing that's true for a lot of teams is like store, when storylines become actual storylines for teams, it becomes a problem because it gets in their head. And the thing with Jacob DeGrom, not scoring for Jacob DeGrom, it seems like it starts to get into the player's head. And I don't want it to get into Francisco Lindor's head, and I, nor do I think it's going to, just because he seems like such a confident, you know, go with the flow type guy and he'll get into it when he does. But I don't want it to get to the point like we saw today where he starts to get frustrated, which could be a good thing, could be a bad thing. It depends on the personality of a person. But if it starts to get into your head, like you're seeing Michael Conforto in the past where it really gets into his head or even a better Steven Matz when someone does something bad in the field, it got in his head tremendously and he just couldn't pitch. And I don't want that to be the problem with Francisco Lindor. But it's so hard to watch when he either grounds out, pops out, strikes out, because I know what's coming after the game, a constant storyline. He's a bust, a waste of money. And now I have to deal with him for 11 more years. Um, what do you guys think? 
I mean, I, I totally agree. It, it definitely is very frustrating. You know, we, we talked last week about, and Lindor alluded to it, that one swing. You know, he's a guy that said that one swing can help me break out of it. I was really hoping that when he got that one swing against Chicago, that was the swing. Now he's going to get going. Still hasn't looked like it. Mm-hmm. And what I don't like about Francisco is that his outs aren't encouraging. You know, you talked about it's a pop-up. Weak, weak ground balls. I mean, a strikeout, you know, like there's not a big line drive. It wasn't hit to the wall and they caught it. They didn't make an amazing diving catch. He's just getting in bad luck. He's just hitting the ball weakly. And that outside corner, I'm telling you, he's pulling it to the second baseman every single time. I mean, has Lindor used opposite field at all this year? I mean, very little, if any. I mean, this guy, base is empty, 226, runner scoring position, 091. You know, he's had a lot of at-bats. You know, it was unfortunate. Uh, it was that Thursday. The extra innings, Lindor comes up, oh. and they walk him. Or, you know, the night before that, a bunch of guys on. Lindor doesn't get it done. Like, that's the $341 million. Like, those are the at-bats where that's the guy that, that's worth. You know, he comes through in the big spot. And it's unfortunate because he is playing in, in such a tough place, you know, that as soon as you mess up, when yeah. you have that kind of money on you, the people are going to let you know. So, it, it is a tough place, and like you said, I hope it does not affect him. I don't think it would affect him because I just think that this guy is so talented. He's better than this. I know he's better than this, and he really eventually has just got to get out of it. And I'm glad that's not affecting him defensively. I'm glad he still tries his best to take a leadership role. Every mound visit, he's out yeah, there on the mound trying to talk to the yeah. pitcher. He tries to calm Strowman down, you know, when he's checking the runner at second, you know, things like that. Uh, translating for Miguel Castro when he's in a jam. That, that was nice to see because Miguel Castro and McCann kind of completely crossed up. <laughs> McCann was like, I don't know if this guy heard what I said, but I was not looking for that slider. You know, so you hope that those little things, like, make the, the money, you know, more worth it. But he really has got to get, like you said, the extra base hits, those big hits. That's what people care about. It's a, you know, home run business. A lot of singles are going to be like, oh, that's not three hundred forty million. You really got to do something amazing to really, you know, shut up the people. And it's going to take a lot, but I, I hope he could do it. And, and I think that after the first month, it's a little hard to call the guy a bust. I mean, let's see what happens in 11 years. Fingers crossed the Mets have at least one World Series under their belt and we'll be okay. <laughs> I mean, I think it's just a tough pill to swallow for the Mets. It seems like there's a trend within this season, at least, where the Mets aren't stepping up to the bat offensively or defensively for expectations. And I think we've seen that throughout everybody. The pitching staff is the only thing that's kind of holding this team together right now and making them eight and seven. We could have only had two wins so far if we didn't have any bullpen or rotation at all. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, it just, like, even with Michael Conforto, we're saying that he needs to accept the deal to in order just to play. Lindor accept the crazy deal. And now he's looking like he can't play. So it, all this money involved with baseball, it, it's kind of messing with the Mets a little bit. And especially with the New York state of mind, like you said, where you're a bust automatically, or maybe you're the right thing for us for a couple of weeks. When Lindor was hitting home run after home run after home run spring training, what was your timeline, Brian? Was it extend Lindor or was it Lindor's a bust? I mean, head <laughs> fans, because we know they can switch so quick. It's really yeah. something else. Yeah, no, I, I think speaking of spring training, uh, uh, it was either Chili Davis or Luis Rojas was saying, like, he doesn't have the same approach that he had during spring training. I don't know what that approach is. I'm not, like, that intellectual baseball-wise to pick up on approaches and things like that. But he seems to – I don't even know. But Chili Davis, someone knows that he's not doing the same approach, and I hope that becomes a fix that they can do. Um, it would be nice to see. But I was going to say something. Oh, yeah. 
the thing about expectations and everything we've seen across baseball, specifically the NLEs, no, like we're a lot of teams aren't playing up to expectations. The Yankees across town, um, they put together a couple wins. They did lose today, um, but there, there's a lot of teams that aren't playing up to expectations. And there's two ways to look at that. First off, maybe the Mets will turn it around, or secondly, the Mets have a prime opportunity here to just pile up win after win and make such a huge distance between them and the Braves or the Phillies or the Nationals. And I don't know. I, I wish I could take the approach that they, this means that they're going to turn it around, but the other approach just seems like such a Mets way to look at it, a pessimistic way to look at it. Like if the Mets were playing better, they would have such a huge distance between them and the Phillies who are 500 or them and the Braves who are below 500. Um, but I guess you could take it the other way that things are going to turn around. It can't, the Yankees aren't going to be as bad as they have been this whole season. The Braves definitely aren't going to be as bad as they have this whole season. Um, and hopefully that's the same thing for the Mets. They're the only team in the NL East. Actually, I don't know if the Phillies won today, but they didn't win. Did they, are they still playing? They lost. Okay. So the Mets are the only team in the NL East that are above 500. Um, the only NL East team that won today. The Braves uh, lost both of their games, the doubleheader, got a seven inning no hitter from Bumgarner. Marlins lost. Phillies lost. Mets beat the Nationals. So they had a, as good as a day as they could have today. Doesn't count as a no hitter, though. I, I know that, that's pretty unfortunate for Bumgarner. Yeah. I mean, that, that was a, a nice gem for him. Right. Yeah. So moving on. Let's go into some positive things. Let's talk about Jacob DeGrom. Uh, every time he goes out, I'm just waiting for him to like become that not great pitcher. I think I talked about this last week, but every time he goes out, he does something incredible each time. And I was listening to Carden Roberts and what's his name? it was Carden was saying, he's not going to have a good game today. There's like no way he can do this so many times in a row. And he goes out and has a, better game than he has this whole season 15 strikeouts nine innings lowers his ERA to 0.31 um and I was watching that I for in the beginning I was listening to it because I was outside but strikeout after strikeout two strikeouts per inning for like the first four innings then he goes on another tear where it's six straight strikeouts and gets up to 15 by the uh, I think it was probably like the end of the seventh because the last two innings it wasn't strikeouts he was more pitching to contact um I'm really happy that Luis Rojas kept him in. It would have been like a common thing that they would have taken him out because he was getting up there in pitch count. I think he ended the game above 110 pitches maybe. Um, and that's in today's game, not a lot of managers would have your pitcher go out there for that many. But Jacob deGrom is the guy that you can let go out there because he's your ace. If you have a guy that's absolutely demolishing the other team, you have to let him fin finish the job. I don't really care what the analytics say. I'm one of those people that sides with the analytics a lot, but it's Jacob DeGrom. He's pitching outstanding. He's having an outstanding start to the year. You can't take this away from him. And I'm really happy Luis Rojas made the right decision there. It was just outstanding. And one, I forgot to tell you guys, but me and my brother bought tickets for the next Jacob DeGrom start. So I'm very excited. Um, that is Wednesday. So that should be very fun. My first game back at City Field for two years, which is, it's going to be interesting, but I'm very excited. Um, yeah, what do you guys think so far about Jacob? Well, I know what you guys think, but what are your comments? <laughs> I, I mean, it has gone to the point now where you kind of run out of words. I mean, when you say ERA 0.31, how much more could you ask? I, I mean, the, the one thing that really stands out to me about Jacob deGrom 
Uh, this year compared to other years, it's just the length that he's going. I mean, the fact that DeGrom went the nine innings on Friday, uh, obviously on opening day, I feel like he could have pitched longer. You know, it just seems like every start he's getting deeper into games than normal. And, uh, you know, I never saw Tom Seaver pitch. So I asked my dad, I was like, you know, DeGrom is pitching really good lately. How does he compare to Seaver? Because everyone says, you know, Seaver's the best of the franchise. You know, he is the franchise. And my dad said, you know what? DeGrom is just as good as Seaver, but Seaver pretty much always would go like pretty much to the ninth inning. And it's a different game now, so pitch don't really do that as much. But now DeGrom is kind of doing that now, and his career area as a Met is below Seaver. I mean, and, and he's getting th- these kind of strikeouts, you know, leads the league in strikeouts. Uh, he's getting hits. He has an average over 500. He uh, scores from second base. He feels his position. I mean, gets his own run support. I, I mean, like, uh, Nimmo drops a ball on center field, doesn't bother DeGrom, gets him out anyway. Like, what can he do? I, I mean, like, I, I just don't even know what to say anymore because he's as close to perfect, especially on, on the, the other night as you could possibly be. I mean, you literally cannot ask for more out of the guy. I mean, he doesn't do any craziness on Twitter. He doesn't throw the team under the bus when the manager's an idiot. I mean, this is just the constant professional. He's underpaid. You know, he is, he's underpaid. And and this guy is just so good. There's there's really nothing more you could say. I mean, video game numbers right there. Like someone's playing over the show. And once he takes the controller off, we're screwed. Because then he's not going to be as good. And I hope no one ever unplugs it. That never goes rest mode the whole season. We're good. I can't even do an LB the show what he does in real life. Like it, it's impossible. It's too hard. Yeah. <laughs> what is I, I haven't played the show. What is he like? I don't know if either of you, but what's like his fastest pitch? Like, does it go up to one on one in MLB? The yeah, show? it does. Yep. It does. So I thought it was a pretty good thing. And and his rank is 99, but I mean, at uh, this point, like he deserves to be in a hundred. That's not a thing, yeah. but it should be for him because <laughs> he's been that good. I posted on the Mets Universe Instagram the beginning of the season where the ESPN ranked Garrett Cole ahead of Jacob DeGrom and before the, those rankings came out I was talking to my brother like are they really going to do it again this season where they rank Garrett Cole before Jacob DeGrom because they constantly do it I, I don't know what it is I don't know if there's like a Yankee bias I'm sure there's not I don't know what it is Garrett Garrett Cole's good no questioning that but Jacob DeGrom has been outstanding and yeah, he's been really good this year, probably his best that he's ever pitched, but he's been better than Garrett Cole the past few seasons. And I'm not going to get into a Yankees versus Mets thing because that's not what we really talk about here. But uh, ESPN's got to show him some justice next season, um, especially if he pitches to a .31 ERA this season. Um, all right, let's get – let's stay with the hot people or the people that are doing good, and then we'll somewhat end it with not a great thing. So let's talk about Pio Alonso. Um, Pio Alonso has – played really well recently. I had his stats up. I must have closed it. I think he's batting currently. I think it was 267. Yeah, I was going to say that. Yes, 267. Today had a great game. Worked out some walks. uh, Had that absolute missile of a home run. Um, The thing with P. Alonzo, and I don't know if it was last week or a couple weeks ago, we were talking about how in the beginning of the season, he started off not uh, going after pitches in the dirt, not going after pitches that were high staying in the strike zone and he went away from that for a little bit but it seems recently he's going back to that and watching the ball knowing when to swing knowing when to not swing we saw with his two walks today and he he when he gets on one he can swing it out of the park we saw against the Cubs basically hit it out of the park twice I'm not going to give him the second home run because it was like basically inside it was still inside the stadium but his first home run was a bomb and I don't think it was 429 feet or whatever they said it was but either way uh 
he's been playing really well. I think he has, let me see, five home runs leads the team. Um, a team that hasn't been hitting home runs in all honesty, but that's not what we're talking about. 12 RBIs has been playing outstanding. Um, I think he's kind of going under the radar because the Mets have been struggling uh, hitting wise, but he's slowly been inching his average back up. And when, if you're listening to this averages in the beginning of the season, don't mean a lot. So don't pay attention to it. Like there's players that are batting under 200 and are definitely not players that bat under 200. I don't think Jeff McNeil is going to end the season batting under 200. A good game can take him back over 200. Um, but either way, 267 is very good for right now. Um, but his other stats, 16 hits, 12 RBIs, outstanding. And I'm really excited to see what he can do the rest of the season because we saw last season he struggled. It was only 60 games, um, but we saw last season he struggled. His approach at the plate was different than it was his rookie season. And maybe now he's starting to figure it out again. It would be really exciting to have him have Polar Bear Pete back in the lineup. What do you guys think of him in the number two? I should have added that, but do you like it or not? I think against the lefty, it was okay. But I mean, I, I don't, I'm not, I'm not sure if it's something you should always do. I, I think that uh, once McNeil fully gets going, I, I really think Jeff, Jeff is a great number two hitter. I, I think just the recipe of, you know, Nimble gets on, we know Nimble's going to get on one way or another. And then McNeil is not going to strike out. So he's probably going to move Nimble over in some kind of fashion. And then if you could set up, you know, the Lindor, Alonso, Dom, Conforto, JD, whatever combination, it should just lead to a lot of offense. So I, I think that Alonso is such a great power, like such unreal power. You know, if, if you look at his analytics or whatever, his exit velocity, his hard hit percentage, yeah. the long, like everything is just through the roof, hot, crazy high percentiles. So I think with Alonzo, you want to try to get as many guys on as possible in front of him. This way, when he hits one of those uh, polar bear bombs, you're getting extra runs out of it. You know, you want to get uh, Nimmo to score, McNeil to score, maybe even Lindor. So I kind of like him a little lower in the order. But I think in this particular lineup against the lefty, I think it worked out pretty well. I, I think he's a good guy. If he's swinging well, I think it's good to have him right by Lindor because I think what happens is that if you have the guy batting in front of him in a three-ball count, you're like, I probably got to throw this guy a strike because I do not want to face Alonzo. I mean, they walked him twice today. So you don't want to face Alonzo. I think the guy behind him, you know, that also helps him out because you know what? You had, maybe you had to pitch around Alonzo. Said, let me get to the next, next guy instead. So if Alonzo's swinging a hot bat, you know, obviously he could help you out with what he does, but also he can help the guy in front of him, the guy behind him, because he just has that next level power that most players don't have. That is really just such a, a really fear for pitchers because pitchers know that any mistake I make, like Corbin, he threw him one right down the middle in that at bat we hit the home run. Mm -hmm. If you do that and he hits it, if Alonzo, if just when Alonzo hits the ball, yeah. he gets just consistent, great exit velocity, something good is most likely happening for the Mets. Yeah. Um, I was going to say the only reason I liked it is because how the Mets offense has been so far this season. And if Pete Alonzo is like the only really hot player like put him in the two hole but once this team starts going and I truly think they're going to uh, he shouldn't be a two hitter, two hitter um but let's keep going so Marcus Stroman did not pitch well in his last start uh eight hits four earned runs four innings pitched his defense didn't help him out um the umpire didn't help him out but uh the thing with Marcus Stroman is I feel like he's the type of player that can get in his head really 
a lot and he strung together so many good good starts I don't want this one start to get in his head and I don't think it's going to because he has so much confidence in himself and we saw that in the offseason but I really I think his next start is very important because if he has another bad start I think that could really get in, in his head um but if he can get another start I want to completely wash this this start out of his head and I think he said that he was going to I think most players would say that but he didn't pitch well and that we can all be honest about uh, you could blame the umpire as much as you want you can blame the defense as much as you want but he didn't pitch well um I don't know if there's a lot to say here because I think he'll snap back out of it but just even though it was a bad game. His ERA is still 2.22. I know that it's because he started the season and had a 0.9 ERA, uh, 0.9 ERA, but still pitching really well. I think I saw a stat today. The Mets' top three pitchers, which is DeGrom, um, Stroman, Walker, have a 1.94 ERA combined in their, all their four starts, which is extremely well for the beginning of your rotation. So, yeah, the top of the rotation is going to have a game here and there where they don't pitch well, and I hope that's what it is for Michael Stroman, it's just going to be one of those games. Um, but I don't want it to get into his head because I think it could get into his head if it starts to become a trend. So hoping for the best with that. Do you guys have any comments to that? No? Okay, moving on. So let's talk about some of the pitchers that may soon be making a return to the Mets. So I'm going to go through this. There's not a lot to say because we kind of know what the impact of each of these players is going to be for the Mets, but we have Noah Syndergaard pitched, I think it was one inning, um, the alternate site, hit 97, is expected to return sometime in June. Then we have Carlos Carrasco pitched four innings in the alternate site, is expected to come back in the second week of May, which is very close and should be really fun when he comes back because I, since the offseason, obviously most Mets fans have, but I, I never really got to watch Carlos Carrasco when it was in the Indians, but I just, all the sto stories that I hear about him, how good he is, I want to see it on display. Um, I'm not going to put too much pressure to excel right at the beginning, but I'm excited for that. Um, we have Drew Smith, who today was called to the Mets option to the alternate site. Probably I was seeing possibly later on this week could be called up to the Mets if all things go as they sh could be going um, or hopefully are going to go. And Drew Smith would be a huge part of the uh, bullpen for the Mets. I assume Jacob Barnes is the one that's going to go bye-bye. Um, I don't think he has any options left, so I think they'll look for a trade. I don't think anyone's going to trade for him, um, but we'll see what happens with that. I'm excited for when Drew Smith comes back and also the next player, Seth Lugo, who's expected mid-May. Um, he's going to be a huge part of this bullpen. And one thing that I did want to mention, I mean, so far the past two weeks, this bullpen has looked very good. Um, we saw with Edwin Diaz, I mean, I'm not going to really blame him for what happened in the, was it the bottom of the 10th? Because um, he pitched well the, in the ninth and the Mets should have scored and shouldn't have been what happened, but I'm not going to blame him. But other than that, the Mets bullpen has looked much better than it did in the first week of the season, which was just atrocious. But I'm starting to somewhat get some confidence in some of these players and Jerry's family has even been pitching pretty well. I don't want to talk too positively because we know what happens when that happens. They start playing bad, but um, Seth Lugo and Drew Smith could be a huge, huge addition. Obviously Seth Lugo more than Drew Smith, but you never know Drew Smith. He had a really good off season, good spring. I'm excited. Um, these are like, these aren't just like minor people that are coming back to the Mets. These are huge parts of the Mets 
that haven't been with them for the start of the season and they're eight and seven and now they're coming in and it's like you're making these big trades but they've been on your team the whole time they've just been injured do you guys have any comments on those players returning i feel like we've talked about this past podcast uh, i mean seth lugo he's like just so valuable i mean he's a guy that uh, with that god awful extra innings rule that's where I, I want Lugo because I, I think Lugo is probably the only pitcher on this team that could get out of a runner at second, nobody out jam because he just has such a good way of narrowing down, uh, striking hitters out without walking them. I, I think with Diaz or Cash or these other guys, they have such crazy break that they could end up walking a batter or two and it, it becomes a bad inning. You know, uh, Lugo is much more of a pinpoint Pitcher guy is more of like a starting pitcher where he, he relies more on command than break, like the way Diaz and Castro do. So I think that's where Lugo serves a really good value. And just another guy can give you multiple innings when needed, you know, because if Miguel Castro has to get used every day and he's not available, you know, if you could go to Seth Lugo instead, that'd be really important. So stuff like that, uh, it shouldn't go under the radar. And the fact that you could replace, like you said, a Jacob Barnes or Robert Griselman with a Drew Smith or Seth Lugo, I mean, that's a pretty big upgrade. And if you get into the point where in the season you have the combination of you have Diaz and Lugo and Loop, and then you throw in Casher who's pitching well with May, you know, maybe the Drew Smith, if you could bring Lucchese in there, like all of a sudden, Mets have a good bullpen, which, I mean, it would be amazing if that actually happened one day, Mets have a good bullpen. So, I mean, you can only hope that that is the case no one else gets hurt. But I, I'm pretty excited. The Lugo is just, I, I think he's so important for this team. And he really could just save you out of a lot of jams and, and really be such a difference maker in winning or losing. Uh, getting him back would be awesome. Yeah, I, I think uh, huge additions. I was going to say something, but it slipped out of my head. Either way, that happens a lot with me. But let's go to the last topic. I think it's a Frank topic. So, Frank, you want to go for it? Yeah, I mean, I, I still, I mean, listen, I, I've liked Trevor Hildenberger. Uh, I, I love that he's a sneaky guy, gives you that submarine action. And and I think a guy like that could be useful. I, I think when you're facing a pitcher, I don't know, like a DeGrom or like a, a David Pearson or somebody, he's such a different pitcher that he could really throw you off, you know, because you face DeGrom for a few at-bats or you face somebody like Walker throwing really hard coming at you. And you're like, okay, now I'm kind of getting used to Walker. I, I know I got to look for that big fastball. Then all of a sudden, Hildeberger comes in and it gives you such a different look. That's what Tampa Bay likes to do. They like to try to give you different looks as a hitter so you don't get used to it. And, and Hildeberger is a guy that you use him in short spurts. You use him for a batter or two, maybe inning at most. That's it. You did your job, Hildeberger. Thank you. When Gazelman was doing bad on Wednesday after you know, J.D. Davis and Dave Pearson and all this other stuff happened, you go to Hildeberger, he gets you out of the jam. Good. Then all of a sudden, Rojas keeps Hildenberger out. I'm like, okay, whatever. Gets to 25 pitches. Hildenberger's starting to lose it a little bit. All right, now you should take him out. No, walk a few batters, leave him out there. Walks the bases loaded, leave him out there. Grand slam. Okay, Hildenberger continues to pitch some more. Now he's up over 40 pitches, and the guy is has completely lost it. He, he doesn't have any left. He's done. And then you send him down to the minor leagues because you made him throw too many pitches in one game. You know, it just like, it makes no sense that like there, there's been multiple times this week where Rojas, it just seems like he had no feel for the guy with uh, Tywan Walker. When he walked to Jake Arrieta with two outs, uh, you're like, Oh, he walked a pitcher. That's, that's not good. 
Then he walked another guy. You say, oh, I mean, and he walked another guy before that. It's like, it looks like he's losing his command here. And then he walks another guy. You know what I mean? It's like, how much longer do you have, how much more damage needs to be done before you're like, you know, maybe I should probably take this guy out. So I just don't like the feel that I, I see from uh, Luis Ross far too often. He, a lot of times he just leaves the guy out in there too long or sometimes a starting pitcher, he pulls him out too soon. He's gotten a little better than that. I, I think today, for example, I would have took um, Walker out when Schwarber came to the plate. Uh, you got loop warming up, bring loop in. I mean, the broadcast says it all the time. You know, they warm loop up just to not use them. But when you have the lefty there, I mean, that's his job of the team. So, you know, I would have went to loop. But and then had I had I gone to loop, I don't have Walker pitch that score the seventh inning. So, you know, I, sometimes it could work out. But uh, I, I just like that. At least Sean Reed Foley pitched really good on Thursday. That was huge. And he's still on the team. You know, he didn't have to throw this pitch and then just get sent down. We don't see the guy again. Gershari Foley is another guy who pitched very well in 2020, had a good outing in spring training. When he got to pitch one inning, pitched well, he gets options to the minor leagues immediately. Why? You know, like, oh, we have to make sure that Jacob Barnes makes the team. We got to make sure Gazelman makes the team. We have to make sure Stephen Tarpley is on the team. We send down Joey Lucchese. We don't have a fifth starter. I don't want Sean Reed Foley to be the fifth starter. I want Reed Foley to be the long man. I want to see Sean Reed Foley be a guy that if there is another bad start where, you know, uh, J.D. Davis or the umpire, whatever, the, my pitch only went three innings, four innings, I could go to Sean Reed Foley for a couple innings. I don't have to use Miguel Cashman for 20 pitches when I'm down 12 runs, you know, and stuff like, and have Guillaume pitch, like stuff like that. It's just embarrassing. So I, I think that Rojas, that, that kind of stuff has got to be cleaned up. Yeah, there's been a lot of times, specifically this season, where he doesn't seem to have a feel for his pitchers, how they're going. I mean, you can even go back to Jacob DeGrom at 77 pitches when he was rolling and takes him out. Um, I guess that's a frustrating part of a rookie man. He's not a rookie anymore, but a manager that hasn't been doing it for a while, even though he was in the minors, but not at the professional level. So with that being said, that about wraps up this week's podcast. Thanks for listening. Actually, no, we got to do predictions. Hold on. I got to get up their schedule really quickly. So I know they're playing the Red Sox because I'm going to one of those games. No big deal. By the way, brutal scheduling here. I mean, you have the off day on Monday and the off day on Thursday. What's that? I mean, how do you put your two off? Like, off days are so valuable in a 162. How do you put them that close together? Off day, play for two games, off day. I mean, that, that just made no sense. And playing in Colorado and Chicago in April, that made no sense either. You, I mean, you, you're bound for crappy weather. So uh, the scheduling has not been good so far. Yeah, definitely true. Uh, some really interesting decisions that baseball made. But so they play the Red Sox two games, Phillies three times, Nets, I think are two and four against the Phillies this season. Is that right? No, they're, they're three and. What did I see then? It must have been a previous season. Yeah. They swept one of their doubleheaders too. So I don't know. I don't know what because they beat the Phillies the three, and then the game got rained out, and then they won one of the three. So they're probably four and two. Four and two, I think, against Philadelphia. So just switch the numbers around. Yeah. (laughs) Um. So Red Sox two games, Phillies three games. I'll give my prediction first. Not going to be as confident as I was last. Let's say three and two. What do you guys? I'm trying to look at the matchups right now because I know the Grom is the Wednesday game. Yeah. So I think Friday Showman should pitch, right? I think that would make sense. I think so. I think because you have all these off days, everything is all messed up now. So I think Showman should pitch Friday, and I'm guessing Peterson Saturday, Walker Sunday. I think that should be the matchup. And the problem is, I don't know who the Phillies have out there because if I saw, you know, Nola, if I saw Wheeler, then I'd have a much better uh, inkling as to which way to go. But I guess it'd be. 
I, don't, I really don't know. I'm, I'm actually gonna go with the. Uh, I'm trying. I'm gonna go three and well, no, it's not three and three though because it's five games. Yeah. So, oh god, this is a tough one. I'm gonna go the the other way. I gotta go with the uh, the three and was it three and four? Would that be it or two and four? I think it's two and four, right? Yeah. They play five games. They play five. Yeah. So two and four is not either. So what is it? it would be two and three. Would that be it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. That five? Okay, two and three. <laughs> <laughs> two game series are just so like rare. It's, it's such a weird thing. I'm gonna I'm gonna go a little. I'm staying. I'm staying optimistic. This is we all have different takes. We see you know what happens. I'm gonna go four and one. I don't think they go undefeated. I think they either take go under or at least undefeated against the Red Sox in the first series, and then take two for the Phillies, or somehow some way they mix it up and they do terrible against the Red Sox, get mad about it. And then Phillies are done. Okay. I, I mean, I mean, I hope that they win these Red Sox games because the matchups are favorable. You know what I mean? I mean, you have uh, David Pearson going up against uh, Garrett Richards. That's a matchup that favors the Nets. And you have Jacob DeGrom the next day. Like uh, anytime DeGrom is not facing an ace, that should be Mets win with how good he's pitching. And that's far from the case. It's <laughs> yeah. usually the other way around. It's like, oh, DeGrom's pitching. Well, Mets are going to lose. DeGrom's going to pitch great. The Mets are going to lose. You know what I mean? So uh, you really hope that, you know, these kind of matchups, you really should win them. But, I mean, with the Mets, you never know. I, I didn't feel good about today. I mean, the team looked horrible yesterday. I mean, really, really bad. And then today, you know, they played great. So, and yeah. Friday looked great. But Saturday, like this, I looked horrible. So, you they're just so, so hard to predict. I mean, I don't think any of us will get a, a week correct. <laughs> no matter what, I mean, we, we this week we have to get because we all pick something different. Yeah. So one of us have to be right this week. We have to unless they go undefeated but and don't win a game. I mean, <laughs> some of us have to be right here. I'm hoping Spencer's right for the Mets, but well, we'll end it here. Thanks for listening, um, and we'll be back next week. Let's go Mets. <laughs>